Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. Plato's Dialogue, Protagoras, Part 7. Socrates continues his analysis of Simonides' poem. Simonides must have been a lunatic if, in the very first words of the poem, wanting to say only that to become good is hard, he inserted the Greek word men on the one hand. On the one hand, to become good is difficult. There would be no reason for the introduction of men unless you suppose Simonides to speak with a hostile reference to the words of Pittacus. Pittacus is saying, difficult is it to be good? And he, in refutation of this thesis, rejoins that the truly difficult thing, Pittacus, is to become good, not joining truly with good, but with difficult. Not that the hard thing is to be truly good, as though there were some truly good men, and there were others who were good but not truly good. This would be a very naive observation, and quite unworthy of Simonides. But you must suppose him to make a poetic trajection of the word truly, alatheos, construing the saying of Pittacus thus. And let us imagine Pittacus to be speaking and Simonides answering him. O oh, my friends, says Pittacus, difficult is it to be good. And Simonides answers, in that, Pittacus, you are mistaken. The difficulty is not to be good, but, on the one hand, to become good, four square in hands and feet and mine, wrought without a flaw. That is difficult truly. This way of reading the passage accounts for the insertion of men, on the one hand, and for the position at the end of the clause of the word, truly, and all that follows shows this to be the meaning. A great deal might be said to demonstrate the excellent composition of each detail of the poem, which is a charming piece of workmanship, and very finished, but such minutia would be tedious. I should like, however, to point out the general outline and intention of the poem, which is certainly designed in every part to be a refutation of the saying of Pittacus. For he speaks in what follows a little further on, as if he meant to argue that although there is a difficulty in becoming good, yet this is possible for a time, and only for a time. But having become good, to remain in a good state and be good, as you, Pittacus, affirm, is not possible, and is not granted to man. God only has this blessing. Quote, but man cannot help being bad when the force of circumstances overpowers him. End quote. Now whom does the force of circumstance overpower in the command of a vessel? Not the private individual, for he is always overpowered. And as one who is already prostrate cannot be overthrown, and only he who is standing upright, but not he who is prostrate, can be laid prostrate, so the force of circumstances can only overpower him who, at some time or other, has resources, and not him who is at all times helpless. The descent of a great storm may make the pilot helpless, or the severity of the season the husbandman or the physician, for the good may become bad, as another poet witnesses, quote, the good are sometimes good and sometimes bad, unquote. But the bad does not become bad. He is necessarily always bad. 
so that when the force of circumstances overpowers the man of resources and skill and virtue, then he cannot help being bad. And you, Pittacus, are saying, hard is it to be good. Now there is a difficulty in becoming good, and yet this is possible. But to be good is an impossibility. Quote, For he who does well is the good man, and he who does ill is the bad. End quote. But what constitutes doing well in writing? And what kind of activity makes a man good in writing? Clearly, learning it. And what sort of well-doing makes a man a good physician? Clearly, learning the art of healing the sick. Quote, but he who does ill is the bad. End quote. Now, who becomes a bad physician? Clearly, he who is in the first place a physician, and in the second place a good physician, for he may become a bad one also. But none of us unskilled individuals can, by any amount of doing ill, become physicians, any more than we can become carpenters or anything of that sort. And he who by doing ill cannot become a physician at all, clearly cannot become a bad physician. In like manner, the good may become bad by time, or toil, or disease, or other accident. The only real doing ill is to be deprived of knowledge. But the bad man will never become bad, for he is always bad, and if he were to become bad, he must previously have been good. Thus the words of the poem tend to show that on the one hand a man cannot be continuously good but that he may become good and may also become bad. And again that, quote, they are the best for the longest time whom the gods love, end quote. All this relates to Pittacus, as the sequel makes even clearer, for he adds, quote, therefore I will not throw away my span of life to no purpose in searching after the impossible hoping in vain to find a perfectly faultless man among those who partake of the fruit of the broad-bosomed earth. If I find him, I will send you word. End quote. This is the vehement way in which he pursues his attack upon Pittacus throughout the whole poem. Resume, quote, But him who does no evil, voluntarily I praise and love. Not even the gods war against necessity. End quote. All this has a similar drift, for Simonides was not so ignorant as to say that he praised those who did no evil voluntarily, as though there were some who did evil voluntarily. For no wise man, as I believe, will allow that any human being errs voluntarily, or voluntarily does evil and base actions. But they are very well aware that all who do evil and base things do them against their will. And Simonides never says that he praises him who does no evil voluntarily. The word voluntarily applies to himself, for he was under the impression that a good man might often force himself to become the friend and approver of another, and that there might be an enforced love, such as a man might feel to an unnatural father or mother or country or the like. Now bad men, when their parents or country have any defects, look on them with malignant joy, and find fault with them, and expose and denounce them to others, 
under the idea that the rest of mankind will be less likely to take themselves to task and accuse them of neglect, and they blame their defects far more than they deserve, in order that the odium which is necessarily incurred by them may be increased. But the good man dissembles his feelings, and constrains himself to praise them, and if they have wronged him, and he is angry, he pacifies his anger and is reconciled, and compels himself to love and praise his own flesh and blood. And Simonides, as is probable, considered that he himself had often to praise and magnify a tyrant or the like, much against his will, and he also wishes to imply to Pittacus that he does not censure him, because he is censorious. For I am satisfied, he says, when a man is neither bad nor very stupid, and when he knows justice, which is the health of states, and is of sound mind, I will find no fault with him, for I am not given to finding fault, and there are innumerable fools. End quote. Implying that if he delighted in censure, he might have abundant opportunity of finding fault. Quote, all things are good with which evil is unmingled. End quote. In these latter words, he does not mean to say that all things are good which have no evil in them, as you might say, quote, all things are white which have no black in them, for that would be ridiculous. But he means to say that he accepts and finds no fault with the moderate or intermediate state. I do not hope, he says, to find a perfectly blameless man among those who partake of the fruits of the broad-bosomed earth. If I find him, I will send you word. In this sense, I praise no man. But he who is moderately good, and does no evil, is good enough for me, who love and approve everyone. End quote. And here observe that he uses a lesbian word, epinomy, approve, because he is addressing Pittacus. Quote, who love and approve everyone voluntarily, who does no evil, end quote. and that the stop should be put after voluntarily. Quote, but there are some whom I involuntarily praise and love, and you, Pittacus, I would never have blamed if you had spoken what was moderately good and true. But I do blame you, because, putting on the appearance of truth, you are speaking falsely about the highest matters. End quote. And this, I said, Prodicus and Protagoras, I take to be the meaning of Simonides in this poem. Hippias said, I think, Socrates, that you have given a very good explanation of the poem, but I have also an excellent interpretation of my own, which I will propound to you, if you will allow me. Nay, Hippias, said Alcibiades, not now, but at some other time. At present we must abide by the compact which was made between Socrates and Protagoras, to the effect that as long as Protagoras is willing to ask, Socrates should answer, or that if he would rather answer, then that Socrates should ask. I said, I wish Protagoras either to ask or answer, as he is inclined, but I would rather have done with poems and odes, if he does not object and come back to the question about which I was asking you at first, Protagoras, and by your help make an end of that. The talk about the poets seems to me like a commonplace entertainment to which a vulgar company have recourse, who, 
because they are not able to converse or amuse one another while they are drinking, with the sound of their own voices and conversation, by reason of their stupidity, raise the price of flute girls in the market, hiring for a great sum the voice of a flute instead of their own breath, to be the medium of intercourse among them. But where the company are real gentlemen and men of education, you will see no flute girls, nor dancing girls, nor harp girls, and they have no nonsense or games, but are contented with one another's conversation, of which their own voices are the medium, and which they carry on by turns in an orderly manner, even though they are very liberal in their potations. And a company like this of ours, and men such as we profess to be, do not require the help of another's voice, or of the poets whom you cannot interrogate about the meaning of what they are saying. People who cite them declaring, some that the poet has one meaning, and others that he has another, and the point which is in dispute can never be decided. This sort of entertainment they decline, and prefer to talk with one another, and put one another to the proof in conversation. And these are the models which I desire that you and I should imitate. Leaving the poets, and keeping to ourselves, let us try the metal of one another, and make proof of the truth in conversation. If you have a mind to ask, I am ready to answer. Or if you would rather, do you answer, and give me the opportunity of resuming and completing our unfinished argument. I made these and some other observations, but Protagoras would not distinctly say which he would do. Thereupon Alcibiades turned to Callias and said, Do you think, Callias, that Protagoras is fair in refusing to say whether he will or will not answer? For I certainly think that he is unfair. He ought either to proceed with the argument, or distinctly refuse to proceed, that we may know his intention. And then Socrates will be able to discourse with someone else, and the rest of the company will be free to talk with one another. I think that Protagoras was really made ashamed by these words of Alcibiades, and when the prayers of Callias and the company were superadded, he was at last induced to argue and said that I might ask, and he would answer. So I said, Do not imagine, Protagoras, that I have any other interest in asking questions of you but that of clearing up my own difficulties. For I think that Homer was very right in saying that, When two go together, one sees before the other. For all men who have a companion are readier in deed, word, or thought, but if a man sees a thing when he is alone, end quote. He goes about straightway seeking until he finds someone to whom he may show his discoveries, and who may confirm him in them. And I would rather hold discourse with you than with anyone, because I think that no man has a better understanding of most things which a good man may be expected to understand, and, in particular, of virtue. For who is there but you? who not only claim to be a good man and a gentleman, for many are this, and yet have not the power of making others good. Whereas you are not only good yourself, but also the cause of goodness in others. Moreover, such confidence have you in yourself, that although other sophists conceal their profession, you proclaim in the face of Hellas that you are a sophist, or teacher of virtue and education and are the first who demanded pay in return. How then can I do otherwise than invite you to the examination of these subjects? 
and ask questions and consult with you. I must indeed. Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, twill be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we will not be ashamed. To turn, turn, will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right.